if you're if you have the a Bible in front of you, it's a dark blue book. Uh, if you don't have your own, you can turn to page 964, uh, actually 65, where we're going to be reading from chapter 3, 2 Corinthians. Uh, before I begin, I want to remind everyone of the variety show this coming Sunday night. And some of you who are visiting may not really know what in the world this is about. And, of course, it is something we do for uh, raising money for missions, which that is very important. Uh, we do eat chili. That is very important. Um, <clears throat> we judge the chili. That's very important who gets that trophy. Uh, but it, it's just a, also a wonderful time to get to know each other. And we hope, especially you who are relatively new to us, uh, would be sure and come out just because you get to hang out with people and you get to watch some of us do some really dumb, stupid things in front of everybody on stage. Um, and that's a treat, you know, when you get to do that, it's really fun. So, uh, we sure hope you'll come. It, it's a great time of fellowship, a great event, uh, just for the, uh, being together in that way. So we'll be uh, reading from second Corinthians, uh, chapter three this morning. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts, to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us. But our sufficiency is from God who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters of, on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 
And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That's the reading of God's Word. Let's pray together. O Lord, uh, as we come to this uh, passage, we recognize, even as Paul sets forth here, uh, our desperate need of the Spirit. Lord, it is the Spirit that gives life. We have no life apart from that Spirit. We have no understanding of your Word. We have no grasp of it. We, we have no traction in it. We, it will not lay hold of us. It will not chisel us and form us. Apart from your spirit, O Lord, take this mighty, glorious word that we by nature would be hardened to, that we by nature are blind to. And Lord, continue your work in us of opening to us the precious glory of Jesus and the new life that we have in him. We pray this for your glory and honor. Amen. If you were to uh, start, I, I read years ago, the Harry Potter books, and I started, as everybody else did, one and through seven, right? But if I had started with the, the seventh book, it would have really been hard to get what was going on. Six books into it, and then I start on the seventh book. And a lot of people feel this way about the Old Testament and New Testament. Uh, reading in the New Testament... You, it, it's funny sometimes if you're, if you're reading in the New Testament and that's mainly all you've read, and then you look back and you think, holy, most of this is Old Testament. Wonder what's in all that. You know, it's kind of, what is this three-fourths of it back here? And, and how does the three-fourths relate to the one-fourth? How do we go from that to this and understand their relationship? Well, there are several places in Scripture where the writers spend a lot of time showing the relationship between the two. Here's one of those places. Uh, Paul in Galatians 4 talks about the two covenants. One is Jerusalem on earth. The other is a heavenly Jerusalem. And he contrasts the old and the new. And what really makes this applicable uh, in their day is these, these false apostles that were coming along and they're arguing for the old covenant against the new covenant. Basically wanting to hold on to the old with just little bits of pieces here and there, little add-ons from the new, but the main is the old. And this is why Paul was so much emphasizing in this passage the relationship between the old and the new. To, To crystallize what happened when we went from old to new. Uh, what the difference is in many ways between old and new. So we will be looking at the new covenant. And since from the beginning to the end of this chapter, it's about the Holy Spirit, as you saw. Just every part of it is, in, is embedded with the Spirit. So it's really about the new covenant and how the Spirit being poured out in the new covenant has made all the difference in the world. And he's made a difference in these four things that I have uh, listed there in your bulletin. In life, glory, righteousness, and transformation. Now, these are 
closely related. You know, they're all part of one thing, but we're going to try to pull the threads apart a little bit to talk about each one of them. But hopefully this can help you better understand uh, what the Old Testament led up to or, or how the Old Testament was pointing forward and how critical the New Testament is for the Old Testament to be anything and to mean anything. So we start then with uh, spirit and life. This is emphasized, isn't it, in this first section where he says in verse 6, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. It's kind of the apex of his argument in those first six verses. But he starts saying, apparently, we see here, apparently, letters of recommendation, written letters of recommendation were a big deal among the false apostles. And they pretty much criticized Paul because he didn't have really good wrecks, you know, like showing up at a fraternity or sorority uh, uh, rush and, and you don't have good wrecks. So Paul was showing up with no wrecks. And uh, so Paul uh, is basically saying, so that's how I'm allowed to speak wherever I go, to have a handful of wrecks in hand. And he says, look, you are our recommendation. Okay, You're our recommendation. First, you're written on our hearts. We love you so deeply, anybody can see that. Our heart's an open book when it comes to you. We got it all. We got it bad. And our friends know it. Okay, It's an open thing. Everybody knows you're on our hearts. And second, you are a letter from Christ. That's the letter of recommendation. You're a letter of Christ, not with ink and paper, but with the spirit and your heart. And we, by God's grace, were ministers of that. You're a letter of the spirit of the living God. And not on stone tablets, but on heart tablets. Your new life by the Spirit is our evidence that we're ministers of this new covenant. That's our letter of recommendation. The existence of the new life that you have in the Holy Spirit. And so he underscores the fact that this covenant is not of the letter. And by this, he's talking about the law by itself apart from the Spirit meeting our hard heart. That's what's intended by the letter. It's a way to underscore the bare law left to itself, facing us left to ourselves. So if you met the law this way, uh, this perfect, beautiful, pure love, uh, pure law summarized uh, by Jesus as loving God and loving people, uh, what would it say to you? Imagine going to the doctor. The doctor's reading the results of your battery of tests, and you're in there, you're sitting there, and she's just reading it, and she's going, Oh no. Oh, oh no. Oh no. I mean, you wouldn't have to say anything of what it is. You know it's not good. It's really, really bad. Now, if you can imagine that, That is what the law, as it looks at your moral and spiritual diagnosis, is just sitting there saying, oh, no, oh, no. And you might 
address the law. And you might say, yeah, I, I know it's bad. I mean, I know how hard it is. I just don't want to do what you tell me to do. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't like obedience. I don't, I don't really like God. I don't, I don't like submitting myself. But what could you do about it? Huh? What, what, what could you do about it, law? And the law's like, me? No, I, I, I can't do anything about it. I'm no healer. <laughs> Here's this, the law would say, I'm no doctor. I'm not a reconstruction agent. I, I just do appraisals. It's like Ben, you know. Ben gives you the appraisal of the building. He's not going to rebuild your building, right? It's not, I'm, this is a very low appraisal. I, I need this to be fixed. Well, I'm not your man. I just appraise your building. So the law then starts writing. And you say, what are you writing? Oh, well, sorry. This is your everlasting judgment and condemnation. And you're like, that's so long. You've been writing a long time. And you're still writing. You say, yeah, it's, it's still adding up. Every day. Okay? You understand? Every day. You, you remember that passage, Paul storing up wrath for the day of wrath and judgment? Yeah, that, that's what's happening. You see, that's the law. It comes to us. It diagnoses our condition. It assesses what we are. It presents its sheer beauty. And it's beautiful. And in fact, it's the fact that the law is so pure and good and beautiful and calls forth the most perfect love that when it's held up to us, we look so bad in the light of perfect love. And so, by the, the law by itself, apart from the Spirit, it kills us, Paul says. Strong word. It kills us. It crashes into our sinful hearts and it leaves us in a heap of judgment and condemnation. You remember what Neo did to Agent Smith at the end of the first Matrix movie. How he's sitting there waiting to fight Neo and he just embeds himself inside his body and he starts vibrating and suddenly he just blows to pieces at the end. That's the law. That's the law. It gets down into the inside parts where you live and where you hate and where you lust and where you have jealousies and it just blows you to pieces. Because it finds out what you are. It kills you. It kills me. It's a kind of wrecking ball. And we end up in demolished building. The letter kills in and of itself. And so, though it's good and holy, as Paul says in Romans, it's like this spider web, and the more we struggle to get it right, the more we get it wrong, and we're wrapped up deeper and deeper and deeper into this web of condemnation and judgment. And Paul calls it, the, that the, he, he says in one place, the Spirit has set you free from the force or principle of sin and death. Sin, it, it's just treadmill, sin and death and sin and death. That's all that the law can do. Paul says there what the law could not do. 
God does. See? The law can't change your life. It cannot. So, amazingly, Paul's opponents advocate a return to the letter. You get that? They're advocating a return to the letter. More cowbell? (laughs) No. More letter. More letter. If it wasn't so heretical and spiritually deadly, it would almost be funny. More of what kills? Are you kidding me? The Spirit is not enough. No, Christ won't do it. You're missing key ingredient. It's the letter. And put that way, the letter becomes the most important ingredient. And the Spirit and Christ are pushed to the side. And it's all about keeping the rule. It's all about you're pulling it up by yourself. You're presenting yourself righteous before God if you can work hard enough to escape this web of sin by sheer will of obedience. More letter. So, brothers and sisters, by nature, Paul is saying, he says in many places, you and I are absolutely dead in the water without Christ's work and the Spirit's renewal. We're like we're a ship, really. No sail, no wind, no oars, no water under a burning tropical sun, and we're 3,000 miles away from land. That's us. And we got nothing. And we can do nothing apart from the Spirit. It's the Spirit that does heart surgery. The law doesn't do it. The law doesn't do it. And so, background to this passage, what Paul is basically bringing forward from Ezekiel is where he says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone, this cold, hard, unresponsive heart that you have. And I will give you a heart of flesh, a heart that's alive, a heart that's responsive, a heart that can be eager to do his will instead of resisting and hating to do his will. And he says, I will put my spirit within you and listen to the result. I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That's life. We, we read about it. We, we sang about it, didn't we? That's life when we can say, uh, take this, take his easy yoke and wear it. Love will make your obedience sweet. Christ will give you strength to bear it while his grace shall guide your feet safe to glory. Blessed are the eyes that see him. Blessed the ears that hear his voice. Blessed the souls that trust him and in him alone rejoice. It, it's, it's rescue. It, it's salvation from who I am by nature and my resistance to God. He must do a work in my heart. And, you know, some of you kids, you're just like I was at your age. You don't really care about the Word of God, really. You don't really care about the commands of God. And you find it practically impossible to gladly submit yourself to the Word of God or even to your parents. Notice I'm saying gladly submit. Because you have to. 
or you won't eat. No. <laughs> uh, this is how all of us are by nature. All of us are this way apart from the Spirit working in our hearts. And for you to begin to love obeying your mother and dad and to love God's Word, you must be rescued by the Spirit. Spirit will give you life. Spirit will give you a heart for God. Spirit will open up your eyes to see such beauty in Christ that you begin to want to do His will. Then Paul talks about glory. Having talked about life, he talks about glory. And in verses 7 through 12, it's this 7 through 11, it's this great contrast. If glory was attached to Moses, how much glory will be attached to the new covenant? The old covenant in Moses, the new covenant in Christ. And here he's he's talking this way because these people that want to bring forth the letter uh, we call them sometimes Judaizers, that they're, uh, the way they're underscoring the Old Testament at the expense of the New. Uh, they regarded the glory of Moses as just paramount. You know? and, and when you think, here's Paul, in some way we don't know exactly, he appeared in weakness, he, he wasn't impressive to look at, His, he, he wasn't given to rhetoric or very impressive when he spoke. Uh, just Paul... Versus Moses, parting of the Red Sea, Mount Sinai, light shining before his face. I mean, we're talking glory. And they thought that this glory was attached to his face his whole life. In fact, some rabbis would teach, if you dug up his grave, light would burst forth from his face. Moses. See? Moses. So here's Paul showing, look, this this glory was 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 glorious. Yes, as it broke out among the pagan nations and the and the idols, it, surely it was glory. It was a glorious revelation of God. But let's look at it. Just as commandment and law. Apart from the Spirit. And you see, what had happened is it met largely hard hearts in Israel. All the way through to the end. Because Paul is able to say in Romans 11, when people are saying, well, what about the people of God? What about Israel? And Paul said, well, there is an elect group that has believed in Jesus, but for the rest, they've been hardened. Hardened. And it was always the case. Gives the example of Elijah who thought there's nobody left. And God says, I've, I've withheld 7,000. So there's always this remnant that weren't given over to hardening. But most of Israel throughout their history were just hardened against that gospel. And so it became a ministry of death as the law met the hardness of heart. It was death, a ministry of death versus now a ministry of righteousness. We'll look at that in a second. And if, if that was glorious, how much more is the glory now? If it was glorious as a ministry of death, now a ministry of the spirit of life. Ministry of condemnation, now a ministry of righteousness. A, a ministry that was failing and, and fading, and now a ministry that is permanent forever. Think of the difference in the glory. And then he gets to it. 
later in this passage as he talks about, okay, so you're talking about the glory of Moses. It's on his face. He's been with God. I'm talking about the glory of people who have with unveiled faces seen the magnificent revelation of the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And they're being transformed into that same glory. I say this glory infinitely out trumps this glory. See, the difference in glory can't even be compared. And then this glory that's broken out into hundreds of millions of people's lives of they beginning to conform to the glory of this Lord Jesus Christ and are influenced the whole world compared to one man's face being lit up a little bit. It was great. Yeah. Nothing like this. And then he goes on uh, to talk about in the end of chapter four, when he says this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Moses' glory faded, it faded out of his face, as Paul mentions. But this glory is permanent. It's forever in Christ Jesus. We have taken this, this glory is not just an external shining. It is an internal transformation of life so that we are becoming. And and it's it's hard to think this, but Paul says it that we are being transformed into that same image. And then he uses the word glory. So from glory, which we're experiencing now, to the final glory, as he says there in verse 18. So this this prayer, this, this verse 18, and I'm just talking about the glory part right now, but this this can really be a wonderful prayer for you and for me. When you're asking God for Dignity, or, or you're, you feel a loss of dignity, you feel rejection, you feel that you're nothing in this world. You grew up perhaps in a situation where you were neglected as a child. You grew up in a situation or you've been in a situation in marriage where you've been really badly abused. Paul comes along and says, look. You've beheld the glory of God shown in Christ Jesus. And you're beginning to own that glory and bear that glory. You have the the greatest dignity of any human being in history. You bear the glory of Christ. That is your dignity. That is your honor. And you didn't win any of it for yourself. It's a gift. It was won for you through Jesus Christ. And it's brought to you by the Holy Spirit. And if you're here and you don't know Christ or haven't trusted him yet, aren't these amazing terms to think about? That the greatness and glory of God's own character can begin to take part of your life. And the love that God has can become your love that you begin to have for others. You really begin to look like God to bear that glory. I suggest to you that this is a restoration of humanity's glory that they started with. And and it will even surpass it in the resurrection. But this is a restoration 
of being like God. That's the glory of the new covenant. So we have life. And this life has brought a new glory. But it's also brought righteousness. He has that contrast, doesn't he, in verse 9. It was a ministry of condemnation. Uh, This is a ministry of, of righteousness. The people of Israel, as I said, were so hardened against God... And one of the things they were hardened against was the goodness of God. It's what's so sad when you read about them in the wilderness is they, they just did not believe God had their best interest at heart. And in that regard, they're a repeat of Adam and Eve who believe that lie in the garden. Like Psalm 78, talking about Israel, said they did not believe in God. They did not trust his saving power. That was Israel's problem, hardness of heart. And later in Psalm 106, they despised the pleasant land, having no faith in his promise. You see, hardness of heart causes you not to trust in the goodness of God, not to believe in the goodness of God, not to put yourself in the hands of this gracious God. That's what hardness of heart does. It cuts you off from recognizing and enjoying and delighting in and putting yourself in the hands of a gracious God. In Christ Jesus. You see, <laughs> the cross cracks the heart again and again. And this is why so many more people have trusted in this God in the coming of Christ because of this magnificent, great revelation of the true love of God that He has in giving His Son. This is a new force in the world. The force of the beauty of God shining in the person of Christ. Breaking hearts left and right. Causing people to see God's love in a way they'd never seen before. And as he talks about it later in chapter 5. As this glory of Christ that's revealed to us. This glory that, is, that shines into our hearts, as he says in chapter 4, verse 6. Here's part of that glory. That he made him to be, no, to be sin who knew no sin. Chapter 5, verse 21. He became sin on our behalf and he bore the punishment for sin on our behalf. He knew no sin. He was perfect. And yet he was made sin. He was made the bearer of sin for us. For our sake, so that in him, united to him, we might become the righteousness of God. And if you are united to Christ and, and are associated with the perfect righteousness of Christ, then there's no condemnation for you. Because you are joined to Christ's righteousness. And the condemnation that would have fallen upon you has fallen upon Christ. So... Your sin is gone in Christ. Now you're only associated with the perfect righteousness of Christ. This is your standing before God. It's not a ministry largely of condemnation as the Old Testament, Old Covenant ended up being because of the hardness of heart. This is a ministry of righteousness. A ministry in which you come before God and you find acceptance in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. And you know for sure that your sins are utterly forever taken away in Christ. 
It's a done deal forever. And this is part of your motivation. It's part of, of first tasting his love and in response to that love, the safety and comfort and assurance and hope of that love, you begin to put yourself in his hands. You begin to want to do the will of this one who would sacrifice so much to save you from your sin. And so you see, it's, it's a, a new covenant in the spirit of life and of glory and of righteousness before God and, and in the end of transformation. As he says in verse 18, we're being transformed into the same image. This glory is so much greater. It's like I, I have a headlight. <laughs> I mean, yeah, my car, but I mean, I literally have a headlight. That I wear it because uh, up in our attic that has one little light, but I keep a lot of tools and everything else. And so I just learned some time back that I can find everything and still have my hands free. I know I'd look ridiculous. I love it. Um, you know, and so sometimes I walk downstairs and I still have my light on. You know, it's a great turn on for Kay. Uh, see me with this uh, flashlight on. <clears throat> but sometimes I walk outside forgetting that it's on. Walking to the back uh, room, uh, this little separate house, because I have some tools back there. And I'm walking along and I think, oh, my light must be off. Oh, it's still on. But I can't, I can't even tell it's on. Can't even tell it's on. And that's what Paul's saying. The glory of the new so outshines the old. One commentator put it this way. It's out glorified. <laughs> it's de-glorified, the old. Because you can't even see it anymore in the light of this new glory. And part of that new glory is this transformation. Transformation. The same word as you may be familiar with Romans 12. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's kind of from the human side. Here's God's side. You're being transformed. And it's by the Spirit. It's by the Lord. And in, in verses 17 and 18, he says, The Lord is the Spirit. Or the Lord, both times, the Lord is the Spirit. And this shows how closely Christ and the Spirit are associated so that he can even call Christ by the name of the Spirit. Because the Spirit does the work of Christ and fulfills the work of Christ. But it's this mighty, exalted, resurrected Lord working by his mighty spirit that created every being in the universe, every being on this earth. And he is the one who is transforming you. He is the one that is bringing metamorphosis to your life. And obviously, the glory that we see in the Lord right here is not so much his infinite magnificent attributes these must be his attributes or qualities that can be given to us communicated to us because we see his glory and then he says we're being changed into the same glory well you're not being changed into eternity okay you're not being changed into infinite power but what is the glory we see especially in the face of christ as he says in chapter four it's the glory of god's character it's the glory of God's love and humility and kindness and patience. The glory of his righteousness that has acted in such a powerful way to do us good. And by his grace, we're being transformed in some way into that glory of patience and kindness and goodness and humility and righteousness. 
That's why we're the temple of God. We're the holy place where the glory of God shines forth. That's the new covenant. That's the new covenant in the spirit. Life, glory, righteousness, transformation. (laughs) Praise God that by his grace we are made participants in this new covenant. Even as we sang, blessed are the eyes that see him, that is Christ. Blessed are the ears that hear Christ's voice. Blessed are the souls that trust him. You and I will only trust him by the Spirit's powerful work. And he is eager to work in your heart. Welcome him. Ask him for that transformation. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, give us grace to know and believe in your great goodness toward us in Christ Jesus. Lord, give us grace to exult in the new covenant that you have brought about through your death on the cross, your resurrection, your giving the spirit to your church so that we can be a whole new church full of life and glory, standing in your righteousness, being changed into your very image as the perfect man. And one day, as Paul says in Philippians, you will complete the work that you have begun. And in his words, you will come and we will be transformed perfectly our bodies and everything into conformity with your humanity. Oh, Lord, thank you for such hope. May we live it out and proclaim it in this dark, dark world. Amen.